Let's pray one more moment. Lord, thanks this morning as we gather. We submit any anxieties or worries we have to you, and we pray, Holy Spirit, you would come. You'd come and open the scriptures to us. Come and fill my words. Come and fill our hearts and our minds that we might be led to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, yesterday when we were getting the grid uh, set up, uh, there was no baptismal pool in the middle of the uh, congregation. So if anybody has the urge, uh, we can take care of you. Need baptism today? We have a pond right there in the middle. Um, can you imagine a scenario? Let's say a college football game. And instead of the student athletes playing, when it came time for game day, the student athletes stayed on the sidelines, but the coach went out on the field. They prepare all week long. They're learning the plays. They're, they're studying the rule book. They understand the history of the game. They're envisioning what one day it will be like to, to be in the championship. But then come game day, the coach says, you sit there and you watch me play, and the student athletes never get into the game. It makes no sense. And yet, too often, this is how people view the church. Like we see Jesus on the field, and we're watching him, and maybe there are a few star athletes whom he has allowed on the coaching staff, but mostly just to keep the other athletes in line and showing up on time. They're on the bench, but no one actually gets to play. That, that's not what the Bible envisions for the church, and it's not what the Lord intends. And what we'll see today as we look through our gospel lesson there in Luke 9 is that Jesus shares his mission with his disciples, and everyone on the team gets to play. He shares his mission so that everybody on his team gets to play. Now, we want to just kind of set up where we have been uh, over these past months in 2020, our goal has been to see Jesus clearly in 2020. And God's giving us a lot of opportunities in the world around us to look for him. As we are going through the Gospel of Luke, we're doing so because, well, Luke's stated purpose is that we might have certainty. Certainty about who Jesus is. And so what we've seen is that his message is God's kingdom is breaking into this world. There's an invasion going on from outside, if you will. The kingdom of light and goodness is breaking in to a sinful and evil world. And of course, God's kingdom is his rule and his reign. That's what the kingdom of God is. God's rule and reign through, uniquely through Jesus. And of course, Jesus proclaims that message. And he never wavered. That's where he started. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And that message would carry on all through his ministry. Now, the rule and the reign of God is here through Jesus. It's not through religious observance or through political systems and governments and not through do-it-yourself spirituality, but through Jesus, who is Lord. And our lives can come into alignment with God if we come to Christ and we yield ourselves to him. And he's been demonstrating his authority through words and through actions. And friends, word and action always has to go together. What we say and what we believe, they have to be followed up with action. He's healing the sick. He's driving out demons. He's raising the dead. He's restoring the lost. 
to God's family. He's forgiving the sinful. He's challenging the complacent. He's rebuking the self-righteous. He's loving people by revealing God's heart and God's kingdom. And in grace, he speaks the truth in love. And at this point in his ministry, he's got huge crowds around him. I mean, the people are flocking. They love what he's saying. And they love what they see him doing. And of course, we know that within that crowd, there's a group of disciples. And then even within that group of disciples, there's a smaller group called the Twelve or the Apostles. We'll call them the first team or the first squad. And here in Luke 9, it's game day. That's what Luke 9 is all about. Jesus sharing his mission with his disciples. And it's the beginning of God's plan in which everyone gets to play. Why don't you all say that? Everyone gets to play. It's an important thing to remember. Now, the way the event unfolds is this. Jesus commissions his disciples. He prepares his disciples. The disciples obey and they get in the game. And then afterward, Jesus debriefs and takes them for a good and well-deserved rest. So let's start with Jesus' commissioning of his disciples. Uh, I'm going to read from the text. Verse 1, And Jesus called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Up until now, the twelve did everything with the Lord, right? They had a front row seat to all that Jesus was doing. They've seen him in action, and it had to have been thrilling. I mean, who hasn't thought, gosh, if only I could have been there, like those guys, as close as they were, to see it in action. Because whenever Jesus was around, it always worked. It always worked. The healings, the deliverance, storms. Yeah, what's a storm in Jesus' uh, purview? The miracles. And I can imagine as Jesus calls these guys together, he's like, all right, fellas, it's time for a ministry trip. And they're all like, yeah, woohoo! another ministry trip. And they're excited. Because we love ministry trips trips with Jesus. And then Jesus says, it's going to be just like every other trip we've taken. Except for one thing. This time I'm not going with you. Can, Can you see Peter's jaw literally drop? And their shoulders slump down. They're like, what? Wait a minute. Hang on a sec, Jesus. What do you mean? And Jesus says, don't worry. I'm giving you everything that you will need. And the text says he gave them power and authority. Notice it says first, he gave. That's the language of grace. They don't deserve this. They they haven't earned it. They haven't been like the top students who worked the hardest to achieve the most. But they had submitted their lives to him. They've submitted to his lordship. They've been faithful and they've been available and they've been teachable, malleable people who are willing to submit their ideas to his. And he gives them his divine power and he gives them his divine authority. Now, those things might sound like they're the same thing, but there's a difference. Power is a Greek word, dunamis. Hopefully you've heard of that before. We get our English word dynamite from that or dynamo or dynamic. He gives them the divine ability to accomplish things that are way beyond their ability to accomplish. They can accomplish 
through his power impossible things. So he infuses them with power they didn't have on their own. Now, authority is the right to use that power, the right to carry out God's mission, permission to play in the game, permission to use his power for his purposes, permission to speak his message on his behalf. Now, what the folks online are going to be seeing this morning is me holding up a credit card, which later the staff was like, I hope you held it up, not with the numbers out front. <laughs> and so they, I think they've edited that, that out. But I, I want you to think, I left it in the car, so my prop is over there somewhere. But you all know what a credit card is and what it looks like. I want you to think about a credit card, right? My church credit card looks a certain... Oh, look at that. Trevor's going to loan me his credit card. It looks just like this. So on my church credit card, um, with it, I have the power to purchase what I cannot afford on my own. And I have the right and the authority to use it because my name is on it. On mine, it says Chris Warner. But it isn't just because it has my name on it, but under it, it says Church of the Holy Cross. That's where the authority actually comes from and from which it has been designated to me to use the car. That's where the real purchasing power is. The money is there. I have been commissioned and authorized to use it, not for my sake, but to carry out the mission of the church for the good of the people of God. Do you see the difference between power and authority? He gave them power and he gave them authority and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Notice it's the same message Jesus has been preaching. He doesn't give them, go, go figure something out, make it up. Go preach the same message that I have been giving. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent of your sins. Submit your life. Believe the good news. And he authorized them to heal and to drive out demons. He shares his mission with his disciples. And it's the beginning, this is the beginning of everyone gets to play. So first he commissions, and now he prepares them. Look at the text again, verse 3. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Basically, he says, travel lightly. Don't take a bunch of stuff with you. Travel lightly. And and I don't think this is a recipe for every ministry event that ever will happen after that, although there's a principle of traveling lightly. It's not that we can't ever have anything, but the principle is we've got to be careful that we don't get bogged down by things that would keep us from being available to be his person in the world on his mission. And the things that can bog us down, sometimes they can be beautiful things and wonderful things. I can't wait to get back in these buildings. But the things of the church sometimes can bog down people from the mission. And then, of course, there's the baggage we bring with us that can bog us down from the mission. Areas in our lives that need healing. Places in our minds that need to submit to God's ways, which are different from ours. And so we have to learn to travel lightly, willing to let go of Maybe even some of the cherished things we've always believed. When God's word comes and it's contrary to what we thought, this is the way life is. And the spirit of God may take the word of God and apply it and go, nope, I want to show you something new. A new way of being, a new way of acting, a new way of engaging in the world. So he says travel lightly. 
And basically what they're going to have to do is learn to trust along the way. Go to the places that will accept you. Don't move around. What God is always interested in teaching us who call on his name and follow him and what your life will be about somewhere, if not many places, is learning how to trust him in situations where if he doesn't show up, you're sunk. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in a bunch of those kind of situations. Not only like when I'm serving in a role as a, a minister of the gospel, but just in my life. How many times I prayed, Lord, if you don't show up in this, we're sunk. I, I pray that a lot for our nation right now. If you don't show up in this and show us how to be your people in the midst of this, we are sunk. But it's in those places where things are not easy, where we learn to trust, where we learn to engage with him, despite the fact that it's not comfortable, despite the fact that we'd rather have it a different way, and perhaps we are going to be used by God to help things become a different way. It's in places of unease where we learn to trust him truly and deeply. And so he puts us in situations where we're called and commissioned to be his people, bringing his kingdom into the world around us. Travel lightly, trust, and he says to them also, and by the way, expect some rejection along the way. Because not everybody then would receive his message, and not everybody now receives his message. This whole idea of forfeiting our own kingship the kingship of my life, or our own queenship, the queenship of your life, of submitting your right to rule your own life to somebody else. I wouldn't do it if he weren't so good. And if the consequences of kind of going my own way, I hadn't seen, gosh, that doesn't work so well. C.S. Lewis, in in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we quote Lewis a lot just because he's, you know, we call him St. Lewis. Um... (laughs) You know, has so wonderfully uh, described facets of the Christian life. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, of course, this beautiful scene where the children are in Narnia, the snow is still everywhere, the white witch is still got her power over the land, they're in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they suddenly discover their brother Edmund, the brother Edmund who has eaten of the white witch's Turkish delight, and who has been tempted by her to have power. That's the real temptation over him, is to have power. He has snuck off to the witch's house. And as his brother and sisters, the children want to go after him, but the, the beavers are like, you, you can't do that. You know, He's gone off. And for you to follow into that would be, well, that wouldn't work. No, at this point, we have to move toward Aslan, the king. And we'll ask Aslan to set him free. And there are times when people will reject you. I've had a lot of people reject me because of the one whom I follow. Now, I'm not talking about being an obnoxious Christian. Sometimes people get rejected just because they're obnoxious. But to follow the Lord in the midst of a world that is not submitted to the Lord, well, that will bring rejection from others. So he tells them to wipe the dust off their feet, basically in, in, in the image that he's giving them as a testimony, a prophetic action. When the Jews went into Gentile lands, pagan lands, non-Jewish lands, and they came back, they would 
wipe the dust off their feet as they got back into Jewish territory. It was a way of them saying, I have not been contaminated along the way. What he's saying to these guys, these towns that have rejected you, wipe the dust off your feet. To them in that time, it was a message to say, hey, you're putting yourself outside of the people of God. And there will be people who put themselves outside of the people of God in your life. And and while I would not say, and therefore wipe the dust off your feet, there are times when you have to protect your heart and recognize that sometimes they will reject you. And that doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing in God's eyes. Sometimes we move forward and sadly, not everybody will come with us. So he commissions them, he prepares them, and then, thank God, the disciples actually obey. They do it. They do what he said. They get into the game, verse 6, and they departed. Now just picture this. Jesus is there in the driveway, and he's smiling and waving as they're pulling out. Now that's what happens when somebody goes off to college, right? But, but it's that kind of idea. I, I, you know Jesus is grinning. As he's, he's not worried. He's like, hey, it's going to be good. I'm not sure if they believed him or not at that point, but they went. They went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They obeyed not a list of religious rules. They obeyed what Jesus has asked them to do, and they went out. And it causes a stir. Verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. So there's this stir that's going on all around, and it rises up to Herod. And there's all this confusion around the identity of Jesus. Nothing has changed there. There's still confusion around the identity of Jesus. Because the world's question is, if there's a God, you know, what is God like? And if you don't recognize him in Christ, you'll always just be guessing and wondering or coming up with your own idea. And that's what the people are doing. They're coming up with things that are crazy. Uh, It's one of the prophets of old that was resurrected. Something that they can hold on to to make sense of something that's equally kind of crazy sounding. That God entered in and became like us and lived a life, and died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. The message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe it is the power of God unto eternal life. So so they see this success, and they come back. They had to have been happy, rejoicing, and Jesus debriefs them, takes them on a rest. On their return, the apostles told Jesus about all they'd done, He took them and drew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, if the story stopped there, if if that's all there was, we would conclude that Jesus only shared his mission with those 12, the first team. But what we're going to see in Luke 10 is that he sends out 72, so the 12 plus another 60. And at the end of his ministry, after he's died on the cross and been raised from the dead for you and for me to show us the love of God, to show us the way of salvation, at his ascension, he says, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. Take the kingdom message. Take the life of God. Take the goodness of the inbreaking of the kingdom of light and bear it to the world. 
that needs to hear and needs to see and needs to know that God is good and God has made a way for us to be His. Everyone can share the mission and everyone gets to play. But let me bring it to a close with some application and I just want to do that by asking a couple of questions. Have you entered the kingdom? I don't mean have you been to church or have you been baptized or have you, you know, shown up from time to time, but have you submitted your life to the Lord? My observation is that in our rightful proclaiming of the gospel of grace, and by our, I mean sort of the American church in recent years, our rightful and good proclaiming of a gospel of grace, that you only need to believe to be saved. Sometimes, and and I just make this as a kind of confession, sometimes we have not called people to recognize that believing is more than just ascribing to a set of ideals, but yielding our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I would say, applying this text, have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Lord, here's my present, here's my past, here's my future, here's my plans, here's my money, here's my family, here's my relationship, here's my body. It's yours. It's yours. Now, if you have done that, and you have yielded your life to him, have you yielded to his commission to get into the game by simply making yourself available so that he can give you, by grace, power and authority to carry out his mission, to share his mission. At Holy Cross, over these past few years, we've been saying, as we follow him, he forms us, and then we seek to fulfill his mission in the world. Being his person in the places where he's given you uniquely, uniquely influence and access to bring goodness into the lives of others, to creatively cooperate with God in the places that he's placed you. And then lastly, if you've done that, if you're in the game, are you learning to travel light? I think we've all been learning to travel a bit more lightly in these past months. We've had to. We've had all this control stripped out of our our normal lives. And so we either fight him in those places where he's trying to teach us to travel light, or we yield and we learn and we ask him how and we stumble and we cry and we get mad and we say, yes, Lord, show me how. Because in those places of traveling light, he'll be teaching you how to trust, how to forgive, how to be merciful, how to love others who are hard to love, And then I think he'll be tenderly toughening you up. What I mean by that is he wants your heart to stay tender as you get toughened up in recognizing that not everybody's coming along. And sometimes they'll reject you and that hurts and it must be grieved. But it must be grieved tenderly with a compassion and a love. Because even some in the church Even sometimes my life has been resistant to yielding to the Lordship of Christ. My prayer has been, oh Lord, do a work in me that I might be all you need me to be so that I might play in the game. Let's pray.
Lord, help us to begin to think through the areas in which you're calling us to engage and apply this word of God. You may be even now inviting us to yield our hearts to your lordship. And we thank you that we don't come to an angry tyrant, but we come to one who has shown his deep love for us by dying on a cross and his great authority by being raised from the dead. And so, Lord, we yield as best we know how this morning. And we pray that you would give us power and authority to carry out your mission. And as you teach us, Lord, show us these things, how to travel light, how to trust, and how to have tender yet tough hearts for the sake of the gospel and the one who proclaims it, Jesus, who is Lord. We pray. Amen. Amen.